Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Heartbreak, anger, and mystery. People know why they're not saying anything is beyond me. What happens when someone goes missing? People don't vanish into thin air. They're somewhere out there and they're waiting for us to find them. They're somewhere out there, but where? And a family refusing to give up, knowing someone somewhere knows the truth. We're not going to go away. With family members desperate for answers. We're looking for our baby. We want to bring him home. That's where forensic artwork comes in. They need us for a voice and to put a face to their name. It's a sketch that could save a life. They're all precious, innocent people. And I want to help them get answers and find their missing loved one. This is Unsolved in PA. Hi, I'm Jessica Babb, an investigative reporter for CBS 21 News. When someone goes missing, or if human remains are found, forensic artwork can be a helpful tool. It gives you a glimpse at what someone might look like, especially as they get older. All to trigger your memory, bring in tips, and hopefully solve a case that's gone cold. I'm bringing you to the point where pen hits paper, and these sketches are started. Introducing you to Diana Trepkov. In this week's episode, Memory of the Missing, a conversation with a forensic artist. For someone who might not have any idea what you do, how would you explain your job to them? When the police find a skull, they have no idea who it is. They come to a forensic artist as a, this isn't real, just so you know, but they come to a forensic artist as a last resort. And what I would do is a facial reconstruction, either a three-dimensional which is with clay. So I would put the 22 different landmarks on the skull with tissue depth markers. So they're little rubber bits I would cut out and then there are different landmarks on the skull that I would glue them. And um, I would use prosthetic eyes, little prosthetic eyes, put them in so it's really real life. And you can use clay or you could use different methods, but I like the prosthetic eyes. And I would build the face. So in that way, people are identified in a distance through proportion. So um, like the skull doesn't lie, it tells you everything you need to know. And all the proportions would be correct. It's like putting the puzzle together. So the eyes, the nose is a mathematical procedure. People are identified through a smile. Um, Like for instance, if you close your eyes, think of Tom Cruise or Oprah Winfrey, you'll know when you think of their smile, you'll know exactly what they look like. So the teeth are so important to show in a facial reconstruction. So when the police don't know who it is, they would come to someone like me, a forensic artist. I put the face on the skull and then we put it out so the public, the news could see in the families of missing loved ones. And hopefully they would, something would trigger off recognition and they would say, hey, that looks like da da da. And then they make the call. And then with the DNA, we get a hundred percent match. 
So that's one thing. And then um, if there was a bank robbery, a rape or something, the police would call me and I would interview the person and do a, a composite sketch. It's also known as a police sketch. So through memory, I would take them back and they would explain what the guy looked like, um, guy, girl, and then I would sketch them out on paper and then show. So I'm like the one that helps in investigations. Um, forensic artists, they, we don't do it all, but we're part of the team to help get, to help solve cases and to help stand by families of missing loved ones. Diana Trepkov is an investigating forensic artist. She says that's because she really looks into every case and researches it, all before she even starts the forensic artwork. During our interview, Diana was sitting in her office, surrounded by certificates, fake skulls, skeletons, and even a recreated face. Along with her smile and larger-than-life personality, it almost felt like we weren't alone. And we weren't. Through her drawings, she's been working to keep the memory of those who disappeared alive. So are you typically called in in cases where there's human remains found, or do you also typically work with missing kids? What does that look like? Yeah, it's, um, I'm at 242 law enforcement cold cases to date. So it's, there's so much. There's, the police would call me again if there was a, they need a face on a skull, if they need a composite done. Um, families of missing loved ones would get in touch with me and say, you know, my son or daughter's been missing for so many years. Um, could you do an age progression? The police would call also for that. So then I would do an age progression on a missing person, what they would look like, whether it's 10, 20, 30 years later. And one important thing that I would say is that the, the eyes tell everything about a person. So I always make sure I get the eyes right. And if the eyes are right on a facial reconstruction or on a, um, age progression, then usually the rest of the fall, face falls like perfectly. So it's staying as true as you can to the face, to the portrait that I'm doing. Do you either have to have the full school to be able to do this, or do you have to have pictures of them to be able to do this? How does that process work? Okay, so a family would give me pictures of the missing person, and they would also show me pictures of themselves, like the mom, the dad, and the siblings. So I would look through and see how everybody ages through the years. And then it's um, there are cer certain rules for aging. Like if you smoke or drink or do drugs or stay in the sun a lot, you're gonna age a lot harsher and faster. So I would find out their background. Were they a smoker? Were they in the sun a lot? And when it comes to schooling, it's basically, I've, I did take a lot of courses, but I think the biggest thing is I learned from every case. Like every case you learn more and more and you research and you study faces. So I would study, um, you know, if I, I would look at pictures of people and then when they were young, and then I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. And the eyes always traveled. The eyes were always the eyes, you know? Like just everything else, gravity takes over. Like for instance, as you get older, um, the double chin, the softness around the jaw, the nose would get, eyes would get heavier. Um, I'm thinking what else for facial aging. There's, and then if sometimes people will lose hair and stuff, so they'll recede more. If I'm doing an age progression on a missing person 
and I'm trying to get them older to look older. And I feel like they don't look old enough. I'll add some gray, like the eyebrows more gray or the hair, you know, put gray in the hair and more receding and stuff. So it's, it's all basically you learn from every case. Do you find that you get called more from investigators, from law enforcement or from families trying to locate their loved ones? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, it totally depends. If I'm at a, a conference and we're networking, that's when I get a lot of calls from the law enforcement. It would be coroner's office, medical examiner's office. I did so many for Phoenix, Arizona way back. The families of missing loved ones are in my heart. She says hearing their stories, thinking about the unanswered questions, and wondering about what happened keeps her up at night. How do you help someone when you feel their pain so much that so you're going to find a way to help them. So the best thing is like like what we're doing now, like interviews and getting things out to the world. But it's like um, the families of missing loved ones, I would have to say, are number one in my heart because I became so close. And a lot of my best friends are families of missing loved ones because we bonded through it all. So I would say it's they're the ones who reach out to me. I hear their story and we bond. And believe it or not, it was a pain of her own that led Diana to forensic artwork. So I want to talk about some of the cases that you've worked on. But yes. first, I want to ask, how did you get involved in this line of work? Yeah, okay. This is kind of heavy. So it was 24 years ago. First of all, I could never watch horror movies growing up. I remember I had to hold my best friend's eyes open to watch The Exorcist when we were young. And I'm like, I'm so sorry I did that because I can't watch horror movies, and but I can work on skulls. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. And um, how I got started was my worst nightmare came true. I found out I had cancer 24 years ago. And it was a shock because even the doctor thought it wasn't cancer, but the results came back, it was. And I came home that night and I had um, my children were so small at the time, and I remember crying, crying. And I was alone in my room, crying, and I prayed to God. I'm not gonna get emotional, I'm gonna hold it together. Prayed to God, and I said, dear God, help me get through this, and I'll help so many people. Because I could only picture myself passing away and being in a coffin and my kids being there looking in, and I was so scared. Um, my deal was help me get through it and I'll help so many people. I beat the cancer, and when you, go through something really hard like that you end up um i've noticed with a lot of people you you your whole life goes about serving and contribution so i wanted a career that's going to help people who are suffering you know and that's why i picked forensic art and i'm at 242 law enforcement cold cases to date and i stuck with my plan <laughs> she says her background is as a graphic designer she says she knew she wanted to do something with art, but says it wasn't until her battle with cancer she landed in this career. She says one of her worst nightmares has turned into one of her biggest blessings, working every day, trying to give families and their loved ones who are lost closure. What does it mean to you when you can either help law enforcement solve these cases or help families get some of these answers? We all work together as a team. It's not a, like, it's never just because of me. We will all work together as a team. Of course, my heart is filled with gratitude. Um, I couldn't pick a better career. It's very heavy on the heart. I won't lie. I didn't think it would be this heavy. The journey was a lot. 
it's just, it's, I, I can feel the heaviness from it now, case after case, because the families keep coming forward and I hear their pain and I'm like, so I'm on a mission. I just don't want them to feel alone and I want to help them get answers and find their missing loved one. Um, I got sidetracked with that. What was the question? How does it feel? It feels great in one sense, but it it's also feels sad and I have trouble sleeping at night because I'll be reliving the story, trying to figure out where is Christopher? Is Christopher dead on the mountain? We can't find him. It's been, you know, over three years. Um, where's baby Raymond? He was abducted, you know, in North Carolina. And we don't, does he know that his mom has never stopped searching for him? Donna Green's never stopped searching. Like, where are these people? So it's, there's, it's gratitude. And I feel blessed to do this career, but I also feel it's a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. And people say, take the heart out of it. But you can't. I, I wouldn't do a good job if I did. You'll hear Diana mention many names in our interview. Baby Raymond, Brian Sullivan, Christopher Kucher, Donna Barnhill, Heidi Allen, Jesse Foster, and many others. The list goes on. They're all cases she's worked on. Since you're listening on this podcast, the names probably just sound like names if you aren't familiar with those cases. And that's kind of the point. Before forensic artwork is done, many times people can just hear a name, but may not be able to picture a face in their head. They might not be able to picture certain features or characteristics. And it could be hard to tell if you've ever seen that person, especially if they went missing years ago and they might look older now. But even through this podcast, I want to help paint the picture of just how useful these drawings can be. As you hear Diana mention them, I'm going to pause and describe the drawings she did so you can have a clear picture in your head. But just keep in mind, the way I describe these drawings are the way I see them. So different features might stick out to you when you actually see the drawings for yourself. But as you'll hear Diana talk about in this podcast, the point of these drawings is to maybe trigger a memory or something familiar that you might recognize about each person that she draws. We'll also have the drawings posted on our website, cbs21.com, so you can see them for yourself. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face in this job? Yeah, the biggest challenges, I would, I think, um... When I get close to a family and I feel like it's affected me a lot, like I cry a lot and I want to be strong for them. I keep checking up on them if they're okay. And um, just trying to figure out how can we find them? Like I even wrote a letter to the prime minister of Canada so we can get helicopters on the mountain to see if Christopher is there. Like, what are we missing that we can't find a 25 year old boy, you know, or what are we missing? Like, and I know a lot of people feel that way and thank God for DNA um, genealogy and thank God for everyone who works so hard in these cases and, and people like you investigating, like, thank God for all of us working together as a team, because if we weren't there, um, the victims of crime wouldn't stand a chance. They, they need us. They need us to, for a voice and to put a face to their name. Here she's talking about Christopher Kucher, a 25-year-old who went missing in 2019 in Canada. Diana did an age progression in 2021. Her drawing, done in pencil, is black and white. 
In it, he's wearing a dark tank top with white trim. He has chest hair showing through it. There's a necklace around his neck with a cross on it. He has a round face with a big smile. Around it, she drew a small beard and a mustache. It's more than a five o'clock shadow, but less than a full-on beard. He has a defined chin and a wide nose. His facial expressions look both pleasant and familiar. He has brown eyes with a few small wrinkles under them. He has bushy eyebrows that are typical for a man, and a head full of dark hair. His hair is drawn longer, but it's not past his ears. From the drawing, he has lighter skin. These are just some of the details that can help paint a picture. Well, for instance, there's Brian Sullivan. When he's 19 years old, he went missing in 2007. His mother's a sweetheart, Barbara. It's sad, there's no answers. Like, we don't know where his body is. Heidi Allen, um, it's a sad story. I'm close with Lisa, her sister. Heidi Allen went to work, and from her heart, she didn't have to work that morning, and they called her in. Um, it was a convenience store in Oswega, New York, and they called, she called. She was called in to go to work. It was early in the morning, and that's all they know. She was murdered. They haven't found her body. You know, we're still searching. There's a lot of rumors. There's baby Raymond I mentioned earlier who was abducted. There's, um, which other one? There were so many of them. Um, Donna Barnhill, you know, she was 13 years old when she vanished. And so I did the forensic drawing and opened her eyes in the drawing and put that out. And um, yeah, it's, there's so many, there's so many. They all have a special place in my heart. And um, it's, it's ironic because when I work on the cases, sometimes I'll like put bird music on or open the window a bit so I can hear the birds. And then I'll be working on them and I'll talk to the drawing. Just like, you know, like talk to the person, like, oh, we're gonna find out who you are. And sometimes I'll get these certain feelings. Like you can't help but get close to the victims because you're working on their face, on their skull for so long, you know? Again, let me help you paint that picture. In the age progression sketch that Diana did, Brian Sullivan is wearing a white shirt. He's an adult man with more of an oval face with a beard and mustache. His ears are pronounced and so is his nose. In the drawing, he's wearing glasses that are oval shaped and his eyes are brown. His hair is also drawn on the shorter side, a pretty standard male haircut. There's a slight wrinkle drawn on his forehead and small bags are shading under his eyes, but nothing dramatic. We're not looking for that 19 year old kid. We're looking for our baby. We want to bring him home. That's his mother. His family is heartbroken. Diana says they're still looking for his body. I think it's time for them to come forward. They can, they can do it anonymously because we're not going to go away. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. 
If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. How about Heidi Allen? In her age progression portrait, she is lighter skin with long curly hair. She's drawn with bangs covering her forehead and hair that has a lot of body. Since she went missing in 1994, some of her actual pictures show her with the pretty typical 90s curly hairstyle. So picture a more modern version of that in her age progression sketch. She has a big smile on her face, which comes with two defined lines right under her cheeks, highlighting them. She's drawn with straight teeth. Her eyebrows are drawn on the thinner side. Looking at her picture, as a younger woman, the description of, quote, the girl next door just feels like it fits. Now let's talk about Donna Barnhill. In this black and white drawing, she also appears to have lighter skin. Her head is cocked to the side, and she has a sweet smile. Her teeth are barely showing. She has a thin upper lip and a more plump bottom lip. Her dark hair is about shoulder length, and it's slightly pulled back. She's drawn with a slight side part in her hair. Her eyelashes are noticeable, and for some reason, her eyes stand out to me. In the picture, she's drawn as a younger woman, and without knowing her, the word sweet comes to my mind. Are there any of these cases that stick with you the most? They all do. Jesse Foster, a human trafficking victim. Um, her mom's blending. She's a sweetheart. Um, little Diane Prevost was abducted in a park, and we still don't know where she is. We believe she's alive. The family does. I do. She'd be in her 50s now. And if, unless she feels that whoever took her, that she always felt something that, you know, we all have that inner gut voice inside. If she grew up thinking something doesn't feel right with this family and I don't look like anybody here, you, you would hope that she would go put her DNA into something to see, is this her real family, is it not? Because her real family, the previous family has never stopped searching for her. And that's also um, a very sad case because the father Bernard passed away not long ago, never knowing what happened to his daughter. And he didn't want to die, he was on his deathbed and he said, I have unfinished business to do. There's so many cases that are in my heart because they're all precious, innocent people that just, you know, were abducted or, or raped or murdered, you know, and a lot of them, we haven't found them yet. So it's, you know, but you know, we're not stopping. We're gonna keep going. It takes one person to call in a tip, <laughs> you know? As a 21-year-old woman, Jessie Foster disappeared in 2006. In her black and white age progression portrait, she has lighter skin and long blonde hair, with possibly a few highlights. If you compare her younger photos to this older age progression, her face is more round. She looks like she's smiling, but it's a smaller smile and her teeth aren't showing much. You can see she has some definition in her cheeks. She's drawn with long eyelashes, and you can see a reflection of light in her eyes. The portrait is black and white, but we know her eyes are hazel. Her face looks smooth, and she's drawn without wrinkles. Without knowing her and simply looking at her face the way it's drawn, she seems friendly. What about Diane Prevost? She was abducted in 1966. 
She was two when she disappeared. In the age progression Diana did, she has long, dark hair that frames her face. She has a sweeping bang that covers half of her forehead. Her eyes are brown, her eyebrows are thinner, and her eyes are rounder, and she's drawn with a few slight wrinkles under them. She's not smiling in her portrait, but has two defined lines under her cheeks. Her nose is drawn a little wider. Here, the only pictures Diana had to go off of was when she was little. And so I know you've mentioned the Baby Raymond case a couple of times now. Can yeah. you walk us through, or I guess for people who might not know, can you explain more about that case? Kind of walk us through what your involvement was when you got involved and yes. what your work in that case looked like. Let's pause for a moment. As we talk about Baby Raymond, I want you to just have a picture of him in your head. He was just a baby, six days old, weighing seven pounds, so he was tiny. He's described as being African-American with black hair, wearing a blue sleeper. In Diana's drawing, as a baby, he has soft skin, a round face, and a full head of hair. His eyes are drawn further apart, but many of his other features are small and are just that of a newborn. So when you picture him, just think soft and sweet. Baby Raymond was born um, in 1978, and he was abducted, someone who pretended to be a friend to his mom, Donna Green, um, stole the baby. And it was, Donna seen baby Raymond for the last time, November 6, 1978. So I was called down to the Q Center to lecture, and I was in the, actually this story warms my heart, because I was in the Holiday Inn having breakfast. <laughs> and it was early in the morning, and that day I was gonna be speaking at the Q. And this really nice lady walks by and she goes, are you Diana Trepka? I go, yeah. She goes, you're the forensic artist you're going to be lecturing today. I said, yeah. She says, oh, she says, can I talk to you? I said, of course, sit down. And she says, my name's Donna and my son, my baby was abducted. And I was like, whoa. So she told me the whole story and I interviewed her and I remember she was nervous and I kept saying, everything's going to be okay. You know, let's, and I walked her through it all and she explained what the baby looked like before he was abducted. And um, so I got him down on paper and that's the first portrait she's ever had in her life. And so it was so special because um, she was so happy. And then also I drew the suspect with the, sus the person who stole baby Raymond looked like also, and then we got it on the news. So, and then we were, came back home and then CNN got in touch with me and they wanted to put this on the news and end up going worldwide really fast. But the sad news, that was 2010, we're in 2023 and we still don't know where baby Raymond is. From the time that you first meet with a family to the time that you get a drawing or a composite, what does that timeline look like? What does that process look like? Okay. So it totally depends on my workload at the time and how serious the case is. So a family gets in touch with me and I talk to them and they're usually crying on the other end of the phone and they tell me everything, what they know but they really don't know much just that their child is missing. So they're telling me the circumstances that led up, but it's always a big question mark. We can't figure it out. The police can't figure it out. And so I end up doing an age progression. So they send me everything, you know, all the photos and stuff. I get to know what the child, who the child was before he went missing him or her. And then if I'm doing a, it depends if I'm doing a, a 20 year old, 20 year gap or it depends how long they've been missing 
how detailed the age progression will be. And then once I do that, it could take, it depends. I'm very picky. I use a 0.7 millimeter pencil or just a, like a big pencil with a really, really thin. And people think I can do this like CSI really fast. No, I mean, I'm so picky. I wake up in the morning, sometimes at 4 a.m. and I'll start drawing a couple of hours. And if I don't feel it's bang on, I stop. Then I go back the next morning. It could take 30 days to do an age, just an age progression. People think I can whip it in a day. That's the biggest misconception. It takes like a long time. And um, once I'm happy with the drawing and I feel like I got the missing person and I, I'm, I'm proud of the work, then I'll spray it with a workable fixative. And that way it's drawn on acid-free paper. So the sheet's pretty big. And I'll spray it outside to protect it. And that way the drawing will last a really long time and it won't go yellow and stuff. I might photograph it, send it out so the news, it gets out around the world immediately or sometimes the family will want the original and they get the original like that and then um and then once it hits the news even if we think the person is deceased it's so important to do an age progression because once you do an age progression of a missing person the case is now current once a case is current everybody's talking about it when everybody starts talking things come out so it's really a lot of understanding human anatomy and how the body ages. Yes. Yeah. For, for age progressions and what, um, I, forensic art is like 75% science, 25% art. So you have to know everything behind the scenes and then have the confidence to do the work and, and put it out like that. How accurate do you think your work is? Well, it's not forensic art isn't supposed to be like a perfect portrait right but i won't release my work unless i'm very proud of it like if i feel like okay that's really good i'll release it i'm my worst critic i might do something over again because i'm like no i'm not happy with it um it's anything that will trigger off recognition so as long like when you put the facial reconstruction out and if you know someone might say oh that really looks like him but this part doesn't but this does if it's anything that triggers triggers off recognition then they would call in a tip and then through dna or fingerprints or dental records that's how they get a match and stuff so it's just anything to help solve the case sometimes you'll get banged on sometimes you'll get a little it doesn't matter as long as there's something that will trigger off recognition for someone to make that call and so I know, for instance, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they also do age progressions. What is different between their age progressions and your age progressions? Just a different artists and stuff. They're great. They're great. I know some of their artists there and they've done great work. And a lot of they do also by hand, but I think the majority is all by computer. So I, I do everything by hand. It's it's just a different technique, whatever you feel most comfortable. But yeah, of course, the National Center, they're great. And what they do is great. And so for some of these families that you've worked with, what would, or even other families out there who might be struggling with something similar and are looking for loved ones and might be working with a forensic artist, what would your message to them be? My message would be um, to never give up, to um, try every single avenue. Cause I've talked to people and they'll say, Diane, we already did a podcast episode or we already put it out on the news. 
well, or we already have it on social media. First of all, not everybody has social media. There are some places people only read the newspapers. They might have seen your missing loved one. They might know something. The best advice that I can give to any family of a missing loved one is um, keep getting that story out there no matter what. So many families that I've helped, there's like Glendine Grant, Jesse Foster's mom, Jesse's a human trafficking victim. She will run up to every news thing and she'll hold up a piece of paper. This is my daughter, Jesse. She's a human trafficking victim. She does not care. She'll keep going. And even though we haven't found Jesse yet, it's not because the effort isn't there. But I still believe the ones who try the hardest will get results. But it's not easy. Like I, I see a family crumbling down. I see them, some of them tell me they don't want to live. You know, their son was murdered and they were thrown over a bridge and they can't find they can't find them or the body and it's it's horrible like how do you i just i'll listen i'll send them hurts always i'll i'll try to figure out what i can do to help but what can you do when all they want is the body back but just never give up you never give up on hope miracles happen so it's you know you just really hope the biggest thing i can say is that people have a conscience and they come for it. They have the courage to come for it. And a lot of them are scared and they don't want um, anything to happen to them or their family. But I think if they can always call anonymously and leave a tip where the body is, there's always a way to help someone because that two seconds of them making that call will end a nightmare for a family. Information that can end a family's nightmare. If you know anything about a cold case or someone who's gone missing, call police. Let someone know. No piece of information is ever too small. Like you've heard on this podcast before, the truth is powerful. And forensic artwork like Diana's is key to helping uncover those answers. Again, if you want to see any of the sketches I've talked about, you can find them all on our website at cbs21.com. And one more time, as a reminder, the way I described them is the way I see them, but something different might stand out to you, and that's okay. Like Diana said once more, the goal is hopefully to trigger something in your memory if you know anything about any of these people and get one step closer to closing a case. If you like what you heard, let me know and leave a review. And if there's an expert you want to hear more from, let me know. You can email me at jessicabab at sbgtv.com or find me on social media. That's all for this week. I'll see you next time. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.